Good evening and welcome to the Lockdown Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HOLivingLoco and follow our podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. As always, if you like what you're hearing, be sure to like, follow, and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, and the Megaphone app. Subscribing is free and keeps you up to date on the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis. On tonight's episode, we will be getting you a little bit up to speed on what happened between Philadelphia and the New York Islanders, as well as a brief live look in at Vancouver versus Vegas, followed by a little bit of conversation about the Patrick Laine rumors and Nikolai Ehlers rumors, some of which have been uh, maybe given a bit of an update by somebody who claims to know something about the whole situation. And then our last segment will have Will Scouching uh, at scouchingontwitter.com returning to discuss the prospect Lucas Raymond, who may or may not be available to the Jets at 10th overall, and, you know, why maybe the Jets should consider giving him a look over if he's available. Will was on last night's episode to discuss Anton Lundell, so be sure to check out that episode if you haven't yet done so. And without further ado, let's dive in. The Philadelphia Flyers have found themselves in a bit of a hole against the New York Islanders because Barry Trotz has been very effective. I I think that we're seeing the best of what Trotz can offer in terms of his tactical acumen and his deployments of a team that has limited talent. When Trotz was with Washington, he had lots of weapons to work with. You know, you had one of the best goal scorers of all time. You had Evgeny Kuznetsov, who, when Kuznetsov is playing up to his standards, he can be one of the most terrifying centers in the league. You know, Trotz also had Jakob Vrana, who's an excellent 5v5 scorer. He had Andre Burakovsky, who was very underappreciated and still is, although I think his time in Colorado has maybe changed that perception a bit. And you had a, a decent amount of depth. But when you look at what team actually ended up winning the cup and, and the kind of fortune that it took to get the Caps that championship title, it was actually Washington's worst team in some time. The Caps' bottom six had guys like Devontae smith Pelly and a few other random bottom sixers who I don't think are with the team anymore. You know, obviously the Caps did get a bit fortunate in a couple of their games, and they had some fantastic saves from Braden Holtby during the, play, uh, during the playoffs against Vegas, and some surprising goals from sources you wouldn't really expect. But I think what it ultimately showed was that Trotz was still capable of getting very good results from a team that was definitely lacking in talent compared to some of the other previous Caps rosters. That version of the team was one of the worst Trotz was given, and he ended up winning it all with it. If you give Barry time to, to game plan against a team that maybe is considered a a superior squad, especially in terms of attacking talent, and he's able to figure out a strategy to, to sort of stifle that talent and allow his own team to make up the difference, you end up in a a bit of a battle of wits, and that's something that oftentimes a lot of coaches end up losing. Trotz is a pretty good tactician, and while he has had his blind spots, this series against the Philadelphia Flyers has shown why he continues to be one of the best coaches in the NHL. Tonight, though, was a big test, and, you know, the Flyers are are desperate to stay alive in this series. They needed a win to, to really keep afloat throughout the postseason because... They've kind of, I guess, coasted through some of these games, and they haven't looked like the team that they were expected to be. In a must-win situation, though, the Flyers came out swinging, and they uh, they really had a different kind of effort that I, I did not expect. Philadelphia wasn't really creating a whole lot of dangerous opportunities, especially early in the game, but they were generally controlling possession, and they were trying to play a more trap-and-counter style. They tried to ensure that the the Islanders really couldn't get into the offensive zone and attack the slot area, which is something that New York has had a little bit more leeway to do in uh, previous games. Naturally, though, the Islanders ended up striking first, and the Flyers had to play a little little bit of catch-up, and they ended up doing so on a really nice tip deflection from Claude Giroux. 
I know Giroux has had a lot of pressure placed upon his shoulders because he hasn't been one of the key offensive cogs for this team, especially in a, uh, a postseason picture where the Flyers really aren't scoring many goals, especially at even strength. This has been a bit of an issue over the past few weeks, and it's something that I think, you know, Elaine Vigneault is going to have to sit down in the offseason and look at his approach between the regular season team, which is favoring really fast transitions, lots of scoring chances, lots of puck movement, and, and trying to figure out whether or not that approach should be used in the postseason versus his more conservative dump-and-chase style that he's trying to, to really instill right now. And I, I feel like in a dump-and-chase scenario against the Islanders, the Flyers just aren't built to play that style of game, and that's why I think Trotz's strategy has worked really well. Barry's team is very gritty, very workmanlike. There's a lot of physicality. There's not a lot of high-end goal-scoring talent but there is a, a very high work ethic and a lot of forechecking ability, which really suits the dump and chase style and grinding in the corners as well as setting up just, generally speaking, a, a lot of zone possession using your physical framing and stuff. Philadelphia is not really suited to that kind of game, and I think it's really showing in the series, but tonight they were able to overcome most of their issues and ended up getting a 3-1 lead heading into the third period. For some reason, though, the Flyers just can't seem to get out of their own way, and they ended up blowing the 3-1 lead and having to go to overtime before they ended up winning it there. The series is now at 3-2, and I feel like this is just... I, I don't know. I feel like the Flyers are basically already out of the postseason picture. I know that technically they have a chance in the series, but with the way that they're playing and, and the way that they played tonight, I'm just not seeing enough to really lead me to believe that they're going to win the series. I, I think the Islanders still have this more or less in the bag. It would take a pretty spectacular collapse from the Islanders to really shake my faith in them, but even in this game in which they were down 3-1, they showed a lot of heart, they showed a lot of fight, they showed a tremendous offensive effort to come back and tie it and then force the overtime, even when defensively they were kind of in shambles and they were definitely struggling to keep up at dirt, you know, different stretches of this game. So I definitely think that the Islanders are still in pretty good straights. I think that they'll take the series in the next game. And even if it goes to seven, I, I feel like the Islanders are going to come out on top. I, you know, obviously it's pretty easy to call a team that had a 3-1 series lead as the series winners, but I just feel like with the way the Islanders have played overall, I, I'm really expecting them to come out on top and advance to the conference finals. Quite honestly, I feel like they're the only team that tactically can maybe challenge the uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning, especially that Lightning transition game and fast counters. You know, I don't think that the Flyers are going to play the kind of style that's going to be particularly great for a matchup against the, the Tampa Bay Lightning. Tampa plays a really fast, high-octane, high-tempo game, and I just think that Vigneault's not really ready to handle that. Just because his approach in the postseason hasn't really led me to believe that he's interested in, in exchanging blows with a team like that, where there's a lot of pace and skill. But before we get to that, there's still a couple of games left in this series. One, I would say, is, is my guess, but if it goes to the full seven, you know, I'll eat my words and happily recant whatever statements I've made or hot takes I've, I've made. But despite tonight's loss, I think the Islanders are in cruise control and they should finish this out sometime this week. Up next, we'll give you a bit of a live look in into Vancouver versus Vegas and also talk a little bit about the Patrick Laine and Nikolai Ehlers rumors that have been updated just a bit from some Reddit posts. But before then, I wanted to tell you a little bit about rockauto.com. I think most of us are not exactly automotive experts. I know I don't really know that much about cars beyond a couple of parts and things that most people have to be familiar with at a real basic level. But I know if it comes to car maintenance, I'm definitely a little bit of a fish out of water. To be honest, I couldn't even tell you whether or not I'm overpaying for the same parts that everyone else is buying. 
because I'm not exactly an expert. You know, it's hard to know if I'm getting the best deal, but that's where rockauto.com comes in. The fine folks at rockauto.com have been in the automotive industry for over 20 years and offer an extremely intuitive, easy-to-use website that allows you to sort by make, year, and model for your vehicle, as well as a price range so you get the parts that you need at the price you want. Whether you need a brand spanking new engine control module or a floor mat to replace the one you'd spilled taco sauce on, rockauto.com is sure to have what you're looking for, and you might even save 20-50% to off retail in-store brick-and-mortar pricing for the same car parts. If you place an order, be sure to write locked on in the how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, visit rockauto.com. On today's list of must-win games, we have Vegas versus Vancouver, and Vancouver is obviously the one in the series hole here. You know, I think we all expected to some degree that Vegas would be the dominant team and that the Canucks would really have to be almost perfect in order to survive this series. Surviving the series is probably the best way to put it because Vancouver came out tonight and they immediately just struggled to get much of anything going. You know, Vegas had like eight shots to two in the first period. And not only were they driving up the shot clock, but they were generally driving up possession and creating lots of offensive opportunities, even if they didn't result in direct shots on goal. This is such a dangerous team and there's so much speed, skill, and and distribution ability that I, I really feel like Vegas is is probably right there with Tampa Bay. I think that the Knights are good enough to tackle Tampa Bay. You know, whether or not I want the Canucks to advance, I I think for my personal reasons, yes, I'd like the Canucks to move on. But as far as my hockey brain is concerned, we all deserve to see Vegas versus Tampa as the cup final. I think that that's going to be a fantastic series. I think that that would make the most sense for actually having the two best teams face off against each other. And barring a surprise, I I think that that is the more likely scenario that we're actually going to see, just because I don't really know that any of the other opponents are going to be able to contain over the course of a seven-game series either the Knights or the Lightning. I I feel like Tampa Bay and Vegas have both taken care of business for the most part, and unless Vancouver is able to pull off like the upset of the century and somehow make it through Tonight, in the next several games, I mean, I just don't really see a scenario where Vegas is going to be stoppable at this point. I think that the uh, the Knights are one of the best squads in the league. They have so many talented players like Shea Theodore, who has been an absolute monster throughout not only this postseason, but throughout the regular season as well. And that's before you even dive into some of their forwards like Mark Stone, who's been taking over games left and right, and guys like Jonathan Marchessault and Riley Smith, who have been very capable, very good, and, and up to their usual standards. So, yeah, I just don't really see Vancouver surviving this, but it's uh, it's tied 1-1 heading into the third period. You know, Vegas scored a power play goal with cur- courtesy of Shea Theodore, and then like 30 seconds later, Brock Besser streaked back the other way and tied the game. I will say that Vancouver is lucky that they have Thatcher Demko in net because he's been an absolute wall for this team, and he's, he's really holding the fort down and keeping them in it. This third period is going to be an extremely tall order for him. I think that this is probably one of the most challenging starts of his entire career because not only is it a, a NHL start where she, he has had a few NHL starts, but nothing like this. You know, this is a playoff start against the best team or the second best team in the league. And it's an elimination game. But despite all of this pressure and expectation placed upon his shoulders, I think he's handled it very well. He's looked very good. His positioning and reflexes have been fantastic. His reads are on point. He's been about as good as you could expect, and I think that the the Canucks, you know, regardless of whether or not they lose this series, I think that they have a lot to be proud of. I will say that for you Jets fans who are curious to know whether or not Vancouver is really as good as they look, and especially in comparison to what the Jets have accomplished in a, a brief time span where Winnipeg was in its ascendancy and now is, is definitely tapering off, 
I will caution people against looking at Vancouver as the model for success. I think the Canucks, you know, they're getting a little bit lucky. Their goaltending was very good for most of the season. Like Markstrom has been fantastic throughout the year and through most of the postseason. There are guys like Petrosian and Quinn Hughes who are carrying a lot of the offensive load. But I think if you start digging in underneath the surface, you'll find that Vegas is the one that really deserves to be winning this series. It's always important to remember that even though the the Jets process, I think, has a lot of serious issues and, you know, long term, I am very much concerned about it. I also don't think that Vancouver is the model that I look to as the team that I, I would say the Jets need to be more like. I think that they've gotten a lot of progress made and I think that they've done some great things. But the way that they built their team and what their long term picture looks like, not so good. Speaking of Winnipeg's long term, I did talk about, uh, you know, on yesterday's show, Line A and Ehlers being rumored as trade bait. And it sounds like Darren Dreger was talking about Line A being the top name on the list. For me, obviously, this is very frustrating because I think that the Jets would be selling low on Line A and he's starting to show real progress at becoming a well-rounded NHL forward. There's still a lot of work to be done with him, but he's the kind of guy where I, I think we've yet to see really anything close to his ceiling. He is starting to show, you know, genuine signs of being a really good two-way forward with an amazing shot. And though his on-ice impacts are still leaving a lot to be desired, he is somebody that I think you need to be patient with. And it sounds like from a Reddit post earlier today from somebody who claims to have inside information, the Jets aren't really interested in trading either of Ehlers or Line right now. Line wants more top six time, and I think that that's evident because his overall ice time this season definitely declined from last year. But, you know, I don't think that the Jets would be particularly anxious to move him as soon as possible. He does seem like the guy who would be the one who's most likely to be the odd man out because, you know, he is due for a contract extension. And generally speaking, I think that he would be considered one of the more expendable players by the coaching staff, which I don't really agree with, but, you know, it is what it is. We don't really have a lot of insight into how the Jets' brain trust thinks. So I can only surmise that guys like Kyle Connor and Nikolai Ehlers are, for the most part, safe. But I also don't think that the Jets are going to rush through this process. You know, it's probably one of those situations, like the Reddit poster was saying, you know, that the Jets are entertaining offers if somebody makes a reasonable one but they're not going to be soliciting this stuff necessarily. All I ask is from Winnipeg to be very patient and, and cautious and make the right decision for the team's long-term interests. Don't do anything rash. Don't do something stupid. Take your time. And if an offer that you can't turn down does come up, I'll accept the result. But it has to be a freaking good offer because if it's not, I'm going to be pissed. Continuing our trend of Winnipeg's future, our next segment We'll be seeing the return of Will Scouching to talk a little bit about a favorite prospect of his, somebody who, if, if he's available at 10th overall, Will thinks is a guy that you, you run to the podium, call out his name, and call it a day. And this guy is Lucas Raymond. Welcome back, everyone, to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets show. We are once again joined by Will Scouching, whose work uh, is heavily featured on lots of social media channels. Uh, we'll, he'll, we'll tell a little bit more about what he does in a bit. Um, but we had him on yesterday to talk about Winnipeg's 10th overall pick and some of the guys that may be available there. Will has tracked for many years a number of more obscure leagues and some of the European skaters who I, I think tend to be a little bit under the radar because, you know, North American scouts are still working how to get access to those leagues and increasingly building their networks there. But Will's done a lot of the heavy work. He's done lots of tracking. And this year, he's definitely had quite a few insights into this upcoming draft class. Yesterday, we had him on to talk a little bit about Anton Lundell, who might be available at 10th overall. This next prospect is perhaps going to go a bit higher just because this guy is 
is very highly touted. He's very exciting. And this is a guy that Will has personally mentioned as a very exciting prospect that if he's there on the board, the Jets should take him. Will, why should I be excited about Lucas Raymond? What does he bring that we don't already have? Well, I mean, okay, so at 10th overall, uh, I think with Lucas Raymond, it's not that this is a guy that you'd be excited to pick at 10th overall. I, I, I have a category of, of value when it comes to a player where if they're available at pick X, you sprint to the stage so fast your knees melt. And, and if Lucas Raymond is available at 10th overall for the, for the Winnipeg Jets, my knees are not only melting, like the whole bottom half of my body is just going <laughs> to disappear. Uh, you know, so like it, it, he, Lucas Raymond is another similar to Anton Lundell, a player who over time has captured a lot of criticism, mostly surrounding a lack of production. Um, and I understand that for sure, especially considering that a year ago, this was a guy that people were thinking could be a top two, top three player in this year's draft. Um, but this is where sort of the work that I do kind of comes in and fills those gaps. Lucas Raymond to me is one of the smartest and hardest working players available in the whole draft. And usually I'm the type of person to look at that and go, yeah, but if you can't put the puck in the net, then that doesn't really matter. But to me with Lucas Raymond, I think it's just a matter of time before he gets to that point. I mean, so many things that I tracked of his were just, especially for a young man playing in the SHL, just outstanding. I mean, he of of the I think I have 93 players I've tracked this year of a decent sample and he's third in dangerous shot attempt percentage which is was 77 percent so out of 100 shot attempts taken in both directions that are either high or medium danger Frolunda had over three quarters of them with him, him on the ice that were offensive which is insane and his defensive abilities the, the the defensive results are even better. Like his defensive rate of dangerous shot attempts against was second best of anyone I tracked. So yes, he was in limited usage a little bit with Ferlunda playing sort of bottom six minutes, but this is a guy who just epitomizes like the little things. Really, really smart player away from the puck, constantly aggressive, really explosive. And And in the video that I made, you know, his ability to generate speed in his first couple of steps is is so good that, you know, I mentioned in the video, you you don't have to be the fastest person consistently over the course of a race to win. If you're the quickest off the block and you can just keep everyone away from you, you still win. And Lucas Raymond is a player who is not the slowest player I've tracked all year, but his first couple of steps is is, is awesome. And his ability to close gaps on, on four checkers is really good. Um, you know, and that, and that translated to a really good set of, of di transition data for him in both directions. Um, you know, and, and the end result for him was extremely positive, you know, uh, even considering he wasn't producing a ton, almost one fifth of his pass attempts were two dangerous areas. You know, there, there, there's just a ton to like with Lucas Raymond. And I think that this is a guy who, if you just look at the production, you might be able to see how he could slip a little bit in the draft. You know, he's not a, a center, at least not today. I think that there is potential for him to be one, but right now he's a winger. Um, so other players that might play defense or play center might get pushed up ahead of him on draft lists. But boy, I mean, if this is a guy that's there at 10, I, it's, the, it's, it's a no brainer if I'm Winnipeg. Interesting. And and so it sounds like he, he's got like a really well-rounded package of skill sets. And, you know, he does have some things that he needs to work on. But 
there's at least a nice foundation there and some really promising early signs, even though, again, he has had limited minutes. I mean, it, it probably is pretty, I would imagine, pretty difficult for a young kid to crack uh, any top six time with a, a team like Falunda, which has traditionally always been on the, uh, as far as I know, on the deeper side. So I can imagine that that is nothing short of a tall tall task for a guy like him, but it sounds like his early results have been at least uh, under the hood pretty promising. But as far as like what kinds of things you, you sort of worry about with him, you know, he brings what sounds like a lot of good foundational skill sets and like a high defensive work rate and some of the stuff that's going to lead to some really good quality offensive opportunities. But what maybe does he need to work on? I think getting used to the men's game for an offensive player can be really tough. Um, I, I I look at him and say, this is a really skilled player that has great defensive results, who is still, I think, learning how to work within the, the functional unit of a men's team. So what I mean by that is, the things where I noticed where he'd have a really good opportunity to generate some offense, he might try to take an extra step and, and take an extra second to look for a different play. And there are some players out there who can do that and, and, and really wow you with their creativity and, and, and their ability to navigate open space and everything. But with Lucas Raymond, I think keeping his game a little bit simpler and more effective per second he's on the ice will will help. I think that's a mental thing that I think he needs to work on. I mean, I just have a few clips of him that I have archived running because I haven't seen him play a tremendous amount outside of preseason recently. Uh, But just looking at some of the stuff that I labeled as stuff that I might want him to work on, a lot of it revolves around just holding on to pucks for a little bit too long, drawing too much attention to himself. Um, but, But when he focuses and keeps things simple, you know, just drive pucks up the ice with the puck on his own stick and just you know, in the offensive zone, spot that trailing forward that's coming with you on the rush and just get the puck to him and get the chance, you know, whereas sometimes he might try to push behind the net, look for a different chance, or or if he's working along the boards, he might circle out to the blue line while his defenseman is just standing there wide open. So making those reads and maybe not trying to be, you know, the core piece of a line might help him find a little bit more success in the SHL. But I, I think that that's, a very sort of small part of his overall game and the ability for him to generate speed, play without the puck, you know, it's, I think that's what's at a pro level already. Whereas what needs to maybe take a few more steps is his ability to work within a team unit. And, and, you know, I, I'm coming dangerously close to calling him selfish, but I wouldn't categorize it that way. I think he just is used to being in junior and just sort of doing whatever he wants and, and being able to get away with it. But then when he plays against men and they and they know that he's one of these hot shot junior players, they're going to come and counter him and they're going to be good enough to do so, at least for now. So managing managing what he expects of himself to me, just from my outside perspective, I think might be something that needs to be tweaked a little um, because he has all the tools and all the talent to just be an excellent sort of functional unit within a line that has plenty of offensive ability that I think came out but wasn't rewarded over the course of this season before we close out what would you kind of say is your overall impression of like what kind of player he might be it almost sounds like he might be a a facilitating playmaker of a sort somebody who complements with a really diverse attacking like tool set as well as a a strong work ethic even if it's something that decision making wise he needs to work on what kind of player do you think he might translate to if he makes the nhl 
So when I look at Lucas Raymond, I see a guy who could easily be one of the best two-way players to come out of the draft. I think the offense is kind of just waiting to sort of come out over time. I also feel, though, that his defensive abilities and his motor and work work ethic away from the puck is probably the highest I've seen out of anyone in this year's draft, um, in my view, outside of maybe a John Jason Paterka. But the talent level is is just potentially so, so high. So I think that in the truest sense of a two-way player, as in playing a good supplementary offensive role, whether it's passing or shooting, because I've seen him be able to, you know, he's got a nice quick release when he uses it, but he also has sort of the skill and passing ability to put pucks anywhere he wants. Combined with that sort of off-puck offense on the wings and being hard along the boards, you know, and and pinching up in the defensive end to, to cut off those high defensemen really quickly, I, I think there's a lot to like with Lucas Raymond. And I think people who malign him, I, I think, are really not seeing the forest through the trees on just what type of a player he is. Um, and again, 10th overall, I mean, he sh- he should, to me, be gone in the top five, but it doesn't seem like that's likely to happen, but... Yeah, I mean, I I just have been, I have all the time in the world to talk about Lucas Raymond for sure. Well, now I hope he somehow falls and and we, I would love Winnipeg to get the pick of the litter between guys like Lindell and Raymond. I know that that's probably not going to happen, but a man can dream. Well, well, that's going to do it for our time today. Thank you so much for joining us. Before you hop off this episode, did you want to plug any of your social media tracking projects or anything like that? Oh yeah, Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. That's the that's step one. Um, but the rest, I mean, I've got a Patreon account. Um, so patreon.com slash scouching helps me build out the YouTube channel, which is also scouching. Um, so you, any tier gets access to early videos. Uh, there's a discord server as well for, for other tiers data access. So spreadsheets for drafted and undrafted prospects, visualizations for all patrons that are in Tableau that you can access that sort of conglomerate all the data that i track um there's also merchandise on teespring um that i call scouchware you can access that through my website scouching.ca um and yeah i'm twitter youtube patreon whatever you're comfortable with come on board thanks for joining us this evening and we will have will on tomorrow for another episode that's going to do it for tonight's Locked On Jets show. Before you log off, be sure to check out the Locked On National Podcast hosted by Sarah Avampato. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great night, and go Jets go.